Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. Last week, Pastor RJ talked, kicked off the new year with a message on a new beginning. This week, he's going to be talking about a new covenant. So let's welcome him to the stage. Good morning, Windsor Christian Fellowship. Wow, lots of smiling faces today. It's good to see you all again. Happy New Year. Hope everyone's having a good New Year so far. How are you doing with all your commitments that you made? You committed to come to church every week and you're here. <laughs> some of you are one for two, some are two for two. Uh, last week, uh, we did talk about a new beginning. Um, I also mentioned uh, that you'll notice that there's kind of a little barrier at the back door there that makes you come to the sides. That's by design. Uh, while we do our best to respect your time um, and try to start and end at the times that we say we're going to most of the time, uh, we hope that you would also respect the time uh, that you've set aside for worship um, from uh, uh, to God and your time here with corporate fellowship and uh, work on showing up 11 o'clock, not at the end of worship, come to the beginning of worship. Worship is a blessing to all of us. And... Um, Anyhow, uh, I will also encourage you all at this time of the year that if you haven't already, please sign up for our newsletter, which goes out most Wednesdays. And there's the odd special announcement or correction that comes out, but most of the time it's just once a week we send that out. And it has a lot of data uh, that you may need uh, to help you find out kind of what's going on. Because how many know there's a lot of things happening in this place? I don't even know everything that's going on in this place. I don't want to know everything that's going on in this place. (laughs) (laughs) But there's a lot of meetings and groups and activities and different things that happen through many of the different ministries. Um, Anyway, today I'm going to be talking to you about the New Covenant. So let's start with this. Throughout history, God has always interacted with humans on the basis of covenant. Now, a covenant being a contract or an agreement between two parties. Now, how many know God does not change? Some of you aren't convinced. (laughs) Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Malachi 3.6, I am the Lord, I do not. So some people, especially if you listen to some of the new atheists out there, they kind of talk about God like there was the God of the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, and then there's the God of the New Testament, and they're like, they're two different entities. Really, it's the same God. His interactions with humans, though, often look a little bit different because of the covenant that was enacted at the time that God was interacting with humans. In your Bible, you're going to find there's two primary types of covenants. The unconditional ones where God just says, I'm going to do this. And then there's the conditional covenants where God says, if you do this, then this will happen. So some of the covenants are, I'm just going to do this. And some of the covenants were, if you do this, then this will happen. And, and, you know, people have a lot of, I'm going to say this, in the Old Covenant or the Old Testament, there is some things that are, I'm going to say, difficult 
um, to process or difficult to understand. Uh, my wife will come up in a minute and talk a little bit more about some of that. When we look at some of these concepts of the old covenant, though, they're hard to process. Like, why would God, who loves people, tell his nation Israel to wipe out most of the Canaanite tribes? The Amorites, the Amalekites, the Hittites. Just wipe them out. Kill them all. How many say, whoa, that sounds so harsh. But here's what most people don't realize. God will always and never cease to hate sin. He loves people. He hates when people sin. He doesn't like sin. He doesn't like when people do destructive things, and he certainly doesn't like when people worship other gods. How many of you wives love it when your husband spends time with other women? I was going to refer you guys to our marriage teams if you did. (laughs) We need to have some conversations. Husbands, how many of you like it when your wives go on dates with other men? God doesn't like it when we worship other gods. If we're married to him, if he's our bride, we're the bride of Christ, right? He doesn't like it when we worship other things. Now, going back to these old covenant tribes, I find it interesting that like in the case of Jericho, they went and said, leave or we're going to kill you. And they said, we're in a walled city, we're not leaving, so I guess you're going to have to kill us. And then Rahab, who was a lady of the night, she actually said, here, let me help you, Israel. And as a result of that decision in faith, she actually found her way into the lineage of Christ. She became a part of the nation of Israel. So it wasn't that God was trying to commit genocide against these nations. He was judging them for their sin and their unrighteousness and their violence. And in one case, he specifically talks about how the Amalekites... See, when, when people would travel in caravan, a lot of times the, the men and the, the armed people would go in the front, the armed warriors, they would go in the front of the, uh, what do they call it? A line of people traveling, caravan. <laughs> and the women and the children would come behind. Okay. Well, the, the, the one group, the Amalekite, they attacked the women and the children from behind. They didn't hit the men head on. They hit the women and the children from the back. And then the men had to go back and rescue the women and the children. How many say that's, that's just not playing fair? That's not playing according to the rules of warfare that were established at the time, right? And what rules in war? But, but see, after many, many years, they didn't repent for that. And God said, you know what? okay, you haven't repented for your vile wickedness and wiped them out. Yes, it's hard, but there's a price for sin and all of us deserve death because of our sin, which is why the new covenant is so important, which we're going to get to. So some of these things are hard, but they're not always so cut and dry. And we always try to interpret through the lens of where we live today But the truth is, um, the covenant that was enacted at the time uh, often provided for the action that you saw. 
Now, now people say, oh, well, what about the innocent children? Well, I don't know. There's lots of ways to look at that. Some say that God gave them a free pass to heaven because if they would have grown up to be full of hatred and bitterness and vengeance against God's people, that wouldn't have been good either. Um, but like I said, there's some hard things to understand, but it makes sense when you frame it in the context of the covenant that existed at the time. I'm going to give you another example of that in a minute, but let me talk about some of these covenants so you have a better idea. How many know that in the Garden of Eden, or um, there was Adam, a guy named Adam, in Genesis 3, you see that he didn't really live up to what God had asked him to do. God said, you know, guard the, keep intruders out of the garden, keep it, tend it. <clears throat> but he said uh, he didn't do that very good, obviously, because the serpent got in and, of course, convinced Eve and Adam, who was with her, to partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and thus the fall of mankind. So God's promise, first he addressed the serpent, then the man, then the woman, His promise was that mankind and Satan are going to be enemies forever. He prophesied the virgin birth to the woman, that your seed will come forth and crush the head of Satan. And um, and he was going to bruise his heel, signifying the, the crucifixion. Anyway, the sign of that covenant, or the end result of the covenant that God instituted at that time was hard work. You're going to have to sweat to earn your keep. Thorns, so when you're trying to produce food, you're going to have to deal with thorns. And for all of the women, um, the, the, the sign of that was um, increased pain in childbirth. And all of you said, amen. <laughs> then there was this guy named Noah. Some of you know about Noah in Genesis 9. And uh, God told him to build a boat. He spent 100 years building a boat when he was 500 years old um, and preparing uh, for a flood. And the earth flooded. And... and God, after that flood, promised that he would never again destroy the earth with water. Next time it'll be fire. Um, We're not going to talk about that today. Um, But the sign of that covenant that he made is the rainbow. So every time you see a rainbow in the sky, it's God's covenant sign with you and I that he's not going to destroy the whole earth with water. Does that mean there's not going to be localized flooding? Well, no, that'll happen. But the whole earth will not be destroyed by water again. Then this guy named Abraham. Now, God, in Genesis 12 and 13, he promised Abraham that his descendants would become a great nation, but there was a little bit of a problem that Abraham had. How many know what that problem was? Abraham didn't have any children. So when you're pushing 80 and you have no children, and God's like, hey, you're going to have some descendants that are going to be too numerous to count, how many say... It's going to require some faith. <laughs> but the, Abraham actually sacrificed an animal and he put it in half. And then he spent most of the day chasing the buzzards away, so the, and the, the vultures. But it says at, at some point in this conversation, and if you understand ancient covenant from the Near East, um, they would take the sacrifice, and then they would join hands and they would walk in a figure eight around the two parts of the sacrifice, kind of in like an infinity sign, but also signifying that if either one of them breaks the covenant, so let it happen to them that's happened to these animals. We doing okay? So God came down 
smoking oven and a burning torch. And uh, he also instituted this thing called circumcision where they cut away the, the flesh. But his presence was there. And it was an unconditional covenant that he made with Abraham that he was going to have a child and his offspring would be too numerous to count. And if you know the story, you see how Abraham tried to fulfill God's plan all by himself with his wife's maid. Operation Hagar, is that what you said? Yeah. (laughs) He kind of took another wife and tried to help God's plan come true. And then God later fulfilled his word to him that he said was going to happen with Isaac, the son of promise. And as you see, both of them have had many children, too numerous to count to this day. And then there was a guy named Moses. How many know Moses? Has anyone heard of Moses? Never heard of Moses? Moses is the guy, um, you know, he raised his rod on the Red Sea split, you know, when they were coming out of Egypt. But it was a conditional covenant that God instituted with Moses based on obedience with the nation of Israel, God's holy nation. This is where we get the Ten Commandments from, and I hope you've heard of the Ten Commandments. And actually, all 613 laws that you find in the Old Testament came out of this covenant. And most of the time, when people refer to the Old Covenant, this is the one directly that they're referencing, the covenant of Moses that that God made with the Ten Commandments. And the sign was the sprinkling of the blood at the Passover, which the Hebrew people celebrated up until the time that Christ fulfilled it. Now, people still celebrate it today, but really... Um, Christ was the once and for all sacrificial lamb for us that we see that cut the new covenant. Um, however, um, the sign was the blood, of the blood. okay? And, and this, this covenant was the one that a lot of the interaction that you see through the Old, Old Testament happened within. And then there was, there was one more that we like to mention with the guy named David, um, some of you heard of David. He slew lions and bears with a slingshot and he killed a giant one day named Goliath. He became the king. You know who I'm talking about? That David? So there was a promise that the Messiah would come through David's lineage. And the sign, you see, Jesus was a descendant of David. And you see this in Matthew and Luke when they give the genealogies. Now, in the Old Covenant, there was some things that would have been forgive me, challenging for us to understand from our point of view, but if you understood the terms of the covenant, um, it makes it a little bit easier. So let me highlight one. In David's day, yeah, David's day, the Philistines came and they captured the Ark of the Covenant. And um, they took it and they put it in their temple as kind of a trophy. We beat the Hebrew God and we took their symbol of the Hebrew God and we put it in there. And then when they woke up the next morning, their God was on its face before the Ark of the Covenant, and all the men were afflicted with uh, tumors. And anyway, it wasn't good for the people in the city, so they tried to send it to their friends down the street, and it didn't work out so good for them either. So the Philistines said, we don't want it no more. Take it back. Now, I have to ask you a question. Donna, Terry, you guys are in the front row. How long have you been married now? 55. 55 years. So you guys have been on a few dates over the years, yes? Every week. Every week? That's a lot of dates. 55 times 52. Even upward of 2,500 dates. No, no. <laughs> but here's my question, Terry. When, when Don picks you up for a date or goes to take you on a date, 
Does he open the trunk and tell you to get in? Throw you in the trunk? And... How many know if he would have done that on date one, would there have been a second date? <laughs> she said he would have been in the trunk. So ladies, if you're going on a date with some guy and he comes to pick you up and he opens a truck and throws you in the truck, that's a creepy guy in this day and age. But, but how many of you say there probably isn't going to be a second date? Did someone say maybe? <laughs> okay, we got to talk. But here's what I'm trying to get to, Okay. So there's, there's rules of engagement for dating. You don't put the girl that you're trying to date in the trunk. You open the door for her, gentlemen. She gets in. People laughed at me when we were first married. Oh, we'll see how long this lasts. I've been married about 22 years and change, and I still open my wife's door for her, and I still get ticked off when she tries to open her own door. Vast majority of the time, she doesn't touch her door. So the thing that I'm trying to get to here is not to get too far off. When we look at the Ark of the Covenant, which was where God's presence dwelt at the time of Moses' covenant, um, they eventually built the temple and then he moved there. But that was where God was, his presence. And he established some rules by which his presence was going to be carried on earth. One of the rules was they were to put poles through these hooks, these rings that he put on each side, and he was to be carried on the shoulders of the Kohathites. Can everyone say Kohathite? So rule one, the Kohathites were to carry the presence of God on earth, the Ark of the Covenant. And oh, there was another rule. You're not allowed to touch it or you're going to die. No touch. I tell my children, don't touch the hot stove. If they disobey me, they burn their hand. It'll heal. It'll grow back. You touch the Ark of the Covenant, you die. So the Kohathites would tell their, the Levites, you know, they would tell their kids, don't touch the Ark, you die. That was the rule. So essentially, the Hebrew people of that day, when the Philistines were giving them the Ark of the Covenant back, they put it on a cart, which was against the rules. Essentially, they threw God in the trunk. Okay. And then when it started to tip over, Uzzah, who wasn't a Kohathite and who should have known better, he shouldn't touch the ark, decided he was going to help God from falling over, so he touched it and got struck dead. Now, that doesn't make it any easier to, wow, God, that was... But the truth is, the fear of the Lord was very present in the nation of Israel because they had seen him split the Red Sea, and they had seen the plagues that he did in Egypt, and they had seen and, and passed down from generation to generation, and they had seen him defeat enemies, and they had seen his mighty hand and his mighty power, and, and there was a reverential fear and respect for the presence of God. We're in the new covenant today, and sometimes I feel like in the church, we lack that respect and that awe for the presence of God. Okay. Thank God we're under a new covenant and he interacts with us differently. And the rule is when you disrespect his presence, you don't have blessing and favor in your life. You don't get struck dead, but you do grieve him. So the old covenant or the old Testament was some external rules that were, people were trying to apply to their life. It was impossible to keep this external law because the heart was not changed. 
see, I have a tea here. It's a ginger peach tea. And, and how do you know this isn't going to do anything for me? Nor is this or this, right? How many know the tea does not go in by osmosis or diffusion? How many know that? It's just like your Bible. Now, you know, I grew up in a day where we didn't have a phone in our hand with 4,326 translations at the touch of our fingers. So we had to carry like literal books, like Bible books around all the time. And some people still do, and that's cool. I have no problem with that. Okay. But how many know if you take your Bible, your book, and you put it on your head, it doesn't do anything except make your hair flat if you have hair. (laughs) How many know the information from your Bible doesn't get in by putting your Bible up against your skin? not a good luck charm. The words in the book are powerful and they become powerful when you read them and start applying them to your mind and to your heart. This is why the old covenant was so ineffective and people couldn't keep the rules if they wanted to because it was external law that they were trying to apply to their life. The new covenant that we live in today I'm going to read it to you in a second, but it's where the law of God actually becomes a part of who we are, our new nature, and he writes his law upon our hearts and upon our minds. So now his law is within us, so it's easy for us to obey God because it's a part of who we are. Ezekiel 11, 19 and 20. And I will give them singleness of heart and put a new spirit within them. I will take away their stony, stubborn heart and give them a tender, responsive heart so they will obey my decrees and regulations. Then they will truly be my people and I will be their God. You can see this again in Ezekiel 36. It's like almost the same language, 26. I guess it's the same guy writing it. And I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey all my regulations. See, in the new covenant, we're promised salvation and eternal life through the work of Jesus Christ at the cross. The sign of the new covenant is the resurrection of Christ. He didn't stay dead. He came alive again. That's the sign. So now God takes his law and he writes it upon our hearts. So it becomes a part of the new nature that we operate within. And as a result of that, we actually have the capacity to obey the great commandment. What's the great commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love people. It's a part of the new nature. So anyone that calls themselves a Christ follower but tells me they're not interested in loving the lost or serving the lost, did he really write his law in your heart? Are you really a Christ follower? Did you mentally ascend to some message about Jesus but your heart has not been changed? There has to be a transformation in the way that we think, in the way that we act, the way that we live. That's, a, that's the byproduct of the new nature. I mean... How many of you, if you saw no change after one year, would continue going to the gym an hour a day? Some of you haven't even made nine days yet. And you're frustrated because you haven't seen change yet. Keep at it. Stay with it. It takes time. But after a year, you should see some transformation. You should at least feel a little bit better. Oh, come on. 
<laughs> Hebrews chapter eight. It picks up in verse six. But now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood, the old covenant priesthood. He is the mediator for us, a far better covenant with God based on better promises, or he's the one who mediates. If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. But when God found fault with the people, he said, the day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. The covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt under Moses. He took them by the hand and led them out of captivity. Okay. I will put, sorry, I skipped a line. They did not remain faithful to my covenant, so I turned my back on them, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with my people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And they will not need their, to teach their neighbors, and they will not need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord. For everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, and I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins." When God speaks of a new covenant, it means he has made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date and will soon disappear. If you jump to Hebrews 13 in verse 20 and 21, now may the God of peace who brought us up from the dead, or brought up from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood. May he equip you with all you need for doing his will. May he produce in you through the power of Jesus Christ every good thing that is pleasing to him and all glory to him forever and ever, amen. I'm gonna explain that one in a second. In 1 Timothy 2, 5, there's one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the, the man, Christ Jesus. Mary, if you could grab the microphone and come up while I'm explaining this, it would be appreciated. So what's happening is, in Hebrews 13, the God of peace who raised Jesus from the dead who is the shepherd of all the sheep, that's us. He cut a covenant or ratified an eternal covenant that this is the last one now, the new covenant that we live in today. There's not gonna be another one. This is the new covenant. This is the only one we need now. It's the best one. It says, may he equip you with what you need for doing his will and may he produce in you through the power of Jesus Christ. Okay? May he produce in you through the power, every good thing that is pleasing to him. God has called men and women just like you and I. He has given us all the tools that we need. You have the presence of God within you. He indwells within us. When you have the spirit of God within you, you have everything you need to do whatever he asks you to do. We as Christ followers have to learn how to listen to his voice and obey. When he tells you to do something, you go do it. He, he's already equipped you. When you come here as a corporate gathering, what do we do? We give you tools, we equip you. Yes, some people are more comfortable flowing in this and flowing in that and doing this and doing that because that's where their happy place is. But that doesn't mean that you don't have the tools to do all that God has called you to do and all the things that he asks you to do. It's learning to be obedient in the moment. Are you following me? Yeah. And what happens is it's imperative that we as Christ followers, we learn to listen and obey. He's equipped us. He's given us what he needs. He's given us his presence. He's written his law in our hearts and our minds. And now I'm going to turn it over to my lovely wife. She'll talk for a few minutes. Okay. Um, so as Pastor RJ was saying, I'm doing my best to listen and obey. And um, so in first service, I like, as the Holy Spirit always does, 
Um, <laughs> so my wife and I are very different. I will study all week, months, years to come up with That's some content. Not, not true, not true. <laughs> my wife sits in worship and God gives her a message and then she preaches it. And I'm like, whoa, wait, how does that happen? Yes, but God <laughs> knows how to work with us. And yeah. there's lots there to unpack. And I can't just Holy Spirit. You got it. Give me clarity of thought. Okay, so. There's a lot to unpack here, but I can't unpack it all. So we're going to do this together. So when Pastor RJ was talking about, okay, covenant and God's covenant, Old Testament, New Testament, the Bible, the full Bible. We talk about the Bible, the full Bible, the full gospel of the word, correct? So we get out of alignment and we get tripped up and we get confused when we want to pick apart certain things of the Bible and just pick them apart and build doctrine on them and build a belief system on different parts of the Bible, when you're not taking into consideration, it's the full counsel of the word, the fullness of who God is. Old and New Testament, that is, God is giving us a picture of who he is. Now, there are some things in the word of God, as Pastor RJ was talking about, that we don't know. And we're not going to have the answers to. Do we really know all the reasons why God chose to... um, take out all the ites in the Bible, we're not going to have all the answers. But the answers that we do have that God has told us about in the fullness of his word is that God says he is good. God says that he's merciful. God says he's faithful. God says, I never change. I keep my promises. God says all of these things. So where we get, you know, my kids get frustrated with me. I was having this conversation with one of my daughters about her Birkenstocks and, and they all agree, you know, I don't know if there's probably a whole bunch of youth in here that agree too. It is like wrong. It is like a sin to wear your Birks without socks. You can't keep, your dogs should not come out apparently. And so I said to them, well, who said? Well, I don't know. Just this. I'm like, no, who said? Who is the God of Birkenstocks that said, this is how you wear them. I need to know who said. And I, it's funny because I frustrate them or whatever. And I'll be like, who said, who said? And, you know, we are Christians. And they get frustrated with me when every time I will say to them, you know, well, our perspective, what I'm telling you is I, I don't shoot the messenger. This is what the Bible says. And this is how we're going to counsel you according to the word of God. And, you know, they'll be like, oh, here's another lecture. Here's another, they're going to preach, whatever, all this. And I'm like, well, it's not, it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with, I'm a Christian. I do my best imperfectly. And it definitely is imperfectly to share with you the message of Christ, the message of hope. Um, But that's where Jesus takes up the rest, right? So, but I'm saying to them, who said? And I've been having these conversations with God because it's funny because I laugh and the Holy Spirit says to me, well, don't you, I say the same thing to you all the time. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. Because I'm having, I'm talking to God about, you know, the Holy Spirit. And and God is saying to me pretty consistently lately, well, who said? Who said that? Who told you that? And I'm like, okay. And he's like, you need to, who told you? And we build doctrine on these things. And we make songs about them and everything else. So I want to just read to you, you know, Job is a very famous, like we talk about Job, we want to quote Job, we make songs about certain verses out of Job, and we build doctrine off of that, but it's not biblical. So I want to read to you something out of Job 40. 
verse four. And so Job is saying these things. I am nothing. How could I ever find the answers? I will cover my mouth with my hand. I have said too much already. I have nothing more to say. I'm going to unpack that a little bit, but I want to keep going. And so uh, in verse six, it says, the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind and said to him, brace yourself like a man, because I have some questions for you and you must answer them. Now, how, like, I don't know about you, but if God came to me and said, brace yourself, I got some questions for you and you better have the answers. Like, like Pastor RJ has said, like, we have to recognize and understand who God is. He is God. And in another uh, place in scripture, it says, God is saying to Job, take a look at the bohemoth, which I made. This is in verse 42, uh, chapter 40, verse 15. Take a look at the bohemoth, which I made, just as I made you. And it says, its tail is as strong as a cedar. The sinews of its thighs are, knitly, are knit tightly together. Its bones are tubes of bronze, its limbs bars of iron. And God says to him, it's the prime example of my handiwork, God's handiwork. And only the creator can threaten it. Only the creator has the power to threaten the creation. Okay, and then it goes on, Job says, And I think 40, was it 41, 42? Job is saying to him, he's saying this to God. So you, Lord, have asked me, who is this that questions wisdom with such ignorance? So listen, Job is saying to this, back to God. It is I. I was the one talking about things I knew nothing about. Things too far too wonderful for me to know. So I don't know about you, but I have, how many, I have questioned God about some things, thinking that I'm supposed to have the answers and God, like you need to do it this way. This was the plan. This was how it's supposed to work out. Talk to me. Like, why didn't you do it this way? I don't know about you. Has anybody else ever questioned God? And God is saying um, that he is the one that has the answers. So, and then Job says, I had heard about you before, but now I have seen with my own eyes. Everybody, I want you to repeat this. I take back everything, everything that I said. And then Job says again to God, I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. Now, how many of us are we should be all familiar with the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. That's this one. One twenty. Uh, Job 1. 21. 21. And he said, I came naked from my mother's womb and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had and the Lord has taken it away. Praise be the name of the Lord. So who said that? Job said that. Did God say that? Job said that. But we build doctrine on what Job said. Not on what God said, because God said, you are speaking words that you did not, that you shouldn't have uttered. And Job said it himself. I have spoken words I should not have uttered and spoken of things too magnificent for my own understanding. I shouldn't have talked about, but we still sing about, and we want to make doctrine about it, but that's not what God said. 
And as Christians, we need to understand and have an awareness that we know what did God say? Who said? Who said? And then Job takes it all back. And then we we still want to quote him. But he took it all back and said, I don't know what the heck I was talking about. Don't listen to me. And God is saying, you're absolutely right. You have no clue. You don't know what you don't know. And from God's perspective, he's seated us in heavenly places with him, but we have to take that seat. Like Pastor RJ was saying, your Bible isn't going to get in in you by osmosis. It doesn't happen. Like you have to open it. You have to read it. How many of you have heard that the more you read your Bible, the more your Bible reads you? You know, like you have to read your word. And as you're reading your word, the Bible says, then he renews your mind and shows you the mysteries and the secrets of God. If you're trying to read your Bible and you're not inviting God into it, it is going to be, you, we will not be able to understand it. The word of God tells us it's foolishness. You won't be able to understand it. If, if you think that you can know and understand the fullness of God in, in, in his whole plan and his mystery, like the word talks about, you are arrogant and you need a, we need to be, uh, have a good dose of humility in our lives about who God is. And he literally, like, if you sit back, you should. I do regularly sit back and just ponder and think about the fullness of God and his majesty and his awesomeness and who he is. And that he literally holds the universe together. He literally holds the universe together. He's holding you together. The word says we live, we move, we have our being in him. Everything that has breath should be praising the Lord. Everything in all of creation. He is almighty, all powerful. And he chooses to have relationship with us and invites us into that relationship, that covenant with him. But that's not because he is saying to you, you're, you're at, at, on the same level as me. Like, he is God. And he chooses to come to dwell with us. He chose, Jesus chose to came to give his life for us, to dwell with us, to be with us. And that we need to have the understanding that when God is looking at things in our life, you know, we sang about today, we sang that song, that song is so beautiful, the mercy of God. And that I'm living proof, you're living proof of what the mercy of God can do. Can you you stand with us, please, for communion? I invite you to stand, please. So as we go into our covenant meal, um, it's really, we're going to be declaring the Lord's death till he comes. But it's a unifying act for us as the body believers. And it mystifies me how many people fight about communion all the time and different churches split over communion because who can take it? And is it literally the body and blood? And how do we celebrate? And what language are we supposed to? And, you know. In Luke twenty-two nineteen, 19, he took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. That's what the Bible says. Give thanks. He broke it in pieces. We can break it. This is my body, which was given for you. Do this in remembrance of me for the bread. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup of the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice. In 1 Corinthians, Paul picks up 
chapter 11, 23, for I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. He gave thanks. He broke it into pieces and said, this is my body, which was given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying the cup is the new covenant between God and his people. In agreement, confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes. I want to highlight verse 27 and 28 right now for everyone. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread and drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you're eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That is why many of you are weak and sick and some have even died. That tells me that there are some Christ followers who are weak, some that are sick, and some have died before their time because they didn't discern the Lord's Supper. When we come to the table to celebrate our covenant meal, take a moment and examine your heart. And, you know, first you want to, okay, God, am I in faith? Am I following Jesus? And then secondly, have I released the unforgiveness and the bitterness out of my heart towards others? If you've got active sin, confess it, forsake it. Then we come to the table. There's an examination that takes place. Look within. Father, as we take a moment and look within our own hearts today, I thank you that your word always exposes the darkness in us and that we can confess and forsake our sin and receive mercy from you. Father, as we break the bread today, we give you thanks that you provide for all that we need, including healing of our minds and our bodies. And you restore us to wholeness this day and that we can celebrate the death of Jesus and announce to the world that Jesus died on behalf of you, humanity, humans. Jesus died for humans so that we can be saved, that we can know you, God, and live forever with you. In Jesus' name. You know, as we receive the cup today, you know, I just want to say that, you know, part of, you know, the fullness when, of who God is and who he says he is, and that what we as Christians, we need to realize, we need to uh, have an awareness and an understanding it. When God says he is good, it doesn't mean it's about our definition of what good is. His definition of what good is often means it's, it's not often, all the time. It's the complete opposite. It's the complete opposite. And when the Bible shows us over and over and over again that there will be suffering here on earth. There will be bad things that happen. There will be calamity. There will be sickness. There will be disease. But Jesus has overcome it all. But when from your perspective. And that's why it's so important that we're going to the word and we are asking God to renew our mind and show us and show us that from God's perspective, what we are perceiving is all this tragedy and evil and loss and everything that's happening in our lives. Yes, yes, they're not, they're not fun things to go through. And, and the pain is real. The loss is real. The trauma is real. The grief is real. All of those things we have to 
actively, you know, bring those things to the cross. But God is looking at you from his perspective. And he is saying, this is good because it's drawing you to me and it's bringing out of you. I'm pulling out of you all that I need to bring out of you in order to make you into the person I need you to be in order to carry out what I've called you to carry out. From his perspective, he is saying, this is good, but we're calling it evil over our life. And we need as Christians, it's not about denying, denying, denying the bad things that have happened. It's about, we can ask God questions. One hundred, like I am asking God questions all the time. It's the posture of our heart that when we come before the Lord in humility, it, why God, oh, in my posture, in my humility, I'm like, God, feel free, give me the answer. I'm waiting, I would love it. But if not, Lord, I decide and I choose that you are good because your word says you're good. In so many places in the word of God, he says, I'm good and I'm gonna work it out for your good. Even though it's not, it doesn't look like, it doesn't work out that way, the way we're picturing it all the time. It's perfectly imperfect in your life. Like I have to be willing, it's not rehearsed. I have to be willing to come up here to fumble over my words, whatever. If I have to make a fool of myself, I'm trying to share the best way I know how. Pastor RJ, he does the same. We do the same. We're doing it imperfectly. And it's not supposed to be perfect. We are servants of God just like you are. And we're doing our best imperfectly. We make mistakes. New is new. It's never been done before. We get You do it and you step out in faith and God equips you. But that doesn't mean he equips you like, and you're gonna do it all perfectly. You're gonna grow. And you're gonna, he's gonna teach you and he's gonna show you like the more you practice, the better you get at it, but you, he's gonna, and he's gonna take you higher and you need to lean on him. But as we do that as Christians, we have to understand that it's not about what we perceive in our own natural mind. We need to have, a, if Pastor RJ said it, I'm not sure if you said it in the, this service, but our very survival as Christians in these days depends on our ability and our willingness to listen to the voice of God. Like, I don't say this lightly. In the days and the years ahead, we need for our very survival, for our breath to depend on the ability to hear the voice of God and then obey. Obey. And it doesn't mean it's going to work out, but we obey because that's what God said. And the rest is up to him. And that we need to understand that unless we lean into that and we keep practicing and we keep asking that we can be deceived. The word tells us we can. Lest we seek him and we ask him for, to him to remove the veil from our eyes and we seek him in his truth. And that we discern and that we're able to discern the counterfeit. That we're able to discern that that is not operating in the spirit of God. That we read our word and we're not building doctrine on what somebody said, but what God said. And we're reading the whole Bible, the full counsel of the word. Heavenly Father, Lord, 
I thank you for your blood. I thank you that you said yes. I thank you that you obeyed. I thank you that here on earth, you demonstrated and you showed us how to do that, how to, how to seek you, you and, and listen to the voice of the Father. Father, I ask you please that we would humbly come before you and we would posture ourselves before you in humility, Lord God, reverencing and honoring and remembering who you are, that you are God, the creator of the universe, the creator of us. You made us in your image, Lord, and I thank you, God, for what you've done in our hearts and minds. And I ask, Lord God, that all of us would come before you with a willingness to to welcome you, Holy Spirit, to surrender to you, Holy Spirit, that you come into those places of our hearts where we we need to change, we need to shift, we need to grow, we need to move, we need to do. We need to step out. We need to obey. Father, I thank you for your grace that you give to obey. I thank you that even if we're afraid, that we would come before you and we say, Lord, help me. Do it afraid. I'm going to do it. And I'm going to leave the rest to you, God. And I thank you that I'm gonna, we choose to believe in your goodness. We choose to believe in who you are. And Lord, I thank you that we are not every Sunday and all during the week when we come, that we are not staying the same, that Lord, we're leaving changed. We're leaving with some things to talk to you about, with some things that you're doing in our spirit and in our hearts and in our minds. We're leaving with the renewing of our minds, Lord God, and that you are opening up our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and that you giving us the mind of Christ. So Lord, as we receive today, I thank you that we receive it with the reverence and the honor, the blood of Jesus that it deserves in our lives and remembering what it represents in our lives and the access that it gives us to the throne of grace, not to live how we want, but to live how you've asked us to live, to surrender ourselves to you as a holy living sacrifice, Father God, to live in your power and in your might and in your authority here on earth, Lord God, in Jesus' name. So please keep in mind that the altar will be open after Dave and Carolyn share a benediction. Thank you so much, Pastor RJ and Pastor Mary, uh, for that very, very encouraging message. Um, I'm so thankful that we live under the new covenant, aren't you? Romans 7, 6 says, But now we have been released from the law, for we die to it, and we are no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the Spirit. And it's very clear to me that WCF lives by the Spirit of God. Um, Pastor RJ was just talking at the beginning of the service about, um, you know, coming in on time and the worship team just did an amazing job today. And I'm so glad that we got to stay for two services to be a part of that. They're not just singing songs up there. They're not just picking songs at random. They're praying and they're being led by the spirit. And those songs are words of prophecy over each and every one of you. And when you sing them, 
you are prophesying over yourself. You're prophesying over your problems and whatever it is that you're going through. So I just encourage you um, to be a part of that every Sunday, to be here, uh, to just engage in worship. Don't want to hold you up, but has anybody in here ever been in a physical fight? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> She's from Amherstburg. I knew that. With that in mind, you find out whether you've been in one or you've watched a bunch of them. The first punch is sometimes the deciding factor of who's going to win. And with that, God will show me that a lot of his children are waiting for the first punch in their confrontations with the enemy. He's serious. Steal, kill, and destroy, that's pretty serious. So he suggested that I tell you to start throwing the first punch. Start your day. Worship and praise, speaking the truth of his word before your feet touch the bedroom floor. I'm blessed with this beautiful lady. Before I get her to bed in the morning, she's already downstairs with worship and praise going on. Let's, uh, for this year coming up, let's see some changes. This Hebrews teaching here about us being equipped. I thank you. Windsor Christian Fellowship, you have been equipped. Go. Because you're new. You're all the 